Good morning, brothers and sisters, once again. And uh, can I get you to turn back in your Bibles to Psalm 130? We'll be looking at that this morning. As we begin, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can pray to you in the midst of our troubles. We thank you that you have been speaking to us as your word was read just now. And we pray that you would continue to speak through me by your spirit as we read this psalm, that you may teach us the path to joy and hope in the midst of our troubles. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for many of us, the events of recent weeks have weighed heavily upon our hearts. Uh, almost overnight, our world has changed. So many of the good things that we've taken for granted all these years have suddenly been taken away. Suddenly, we can no longer enjoy the, the, the joy and warmth of meeting with others in person. We can no longer assume we'll be healthy and live to a good old age. We can no longer be sure that we'll go to the supermarket and, and find fresh food on the shelves. We're worried about our job, our economy, our families, and so much more. We're, we're isolated, we're anxious, some of us feel down and depressed. We feel like we're in the depths, and this is just the beginning. Of course, many things may send us into the depths. Uh, bereavement, uh, a relationship breakdown, a financial crisis, or just an acute sense of our own moral failure. And it's in those times when we're at our lowest that we often ask the big questions. How long, O oh Lord? When will this end? Where is hope? Well, this morning we're looking at Psalm 130. And in it, the psalmist cries to God from the depths of despair. But for the psalmist, the source of his despair is, is not just the external circumstances around him, but a deep awareness of his own guilt and sin. Uh, it's a fitting psalm for us to consider. For if anything, the events of the present ought to press upon us the weight of our sin. They remind us that we live in a broken world stained by sin, a world that is under the judgment of God. And for people like us, this psalm is a gift because it teaches us how to climb from the depths of despair to the heights of joyful hope in the Lord. Now, this psalm is one of the psalms of ascent. It is a small section of the Psalter that runs from Psalm 120 to 134. Uh, these psalms were most likely written for the Israelites to say as they made their annual ascent to the temple at Jerusalem. Uh, they were perhaps originally written when Israel made their return journey from exile in Babylon, but they were remembered ever since. They are psalms for people who are seeking the Lord. So Psalm 130 begins with a desperate cry to the Lord. Look with me at verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. The psalmist is in the pit of despair. 
And in his desperation, he pleads with God to listen and answer, and not to treat him as he deserves, but to show him mercy, to, to change his situation. Now, see, in difficult times, sometimes it feels like God is distant, because despite our many prayers, the situation doesn't change immediately. Perhaps we've been praying for weeks now that this coronavirus pandemic may subside, and yet it only seems it's getting worse and worse. Perhaps we've been crying to the Lord to take away our other troubles, our anxiety, our sickness, our, our loneliness, our depression. But despite our prayers, these troubles remain. Now, the psalmist's instinct is right. When we're in the depths, when we don't know what else to do, we should plead to the Lord to hear, to answer, to have mercy. After all, he is the sovereign Lord over all things. Our circumstances are, are never an accident beyond his control. He, he knows everything. He controls everything. Our lives are in his hands. But this psalm will teach us Sometimes we need to wait for the Lord's answer. And not because he doesn't care, but because his ways are higher than ours. Now remember when Jesus delayed in his journey to help Lazarus. It wasn't because Jesus didn't care. But God's plan meant that Mary and Martha had to go to the depths because before they could see his glory. When we're in the depths, we must never lose hope, but cry to the Lord and wait for his answer. Well, secondly, we see we should seek the Lord's forgiveness. See, as the psalmist reflects on his situation, he soon recognises his need for forgiveness. Look at verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Whatever the nature of his distress, ultimately the psalmist recognises he has a deeper problem, his sin. He, he recognises that before the Holy Lord, he could never stand. None of us could. See, see God is, is holy, he is, he's, he's perfect in his, his love and his, his justice and his goodness. And each one of us fails before him in so many ways in our, in our speech, in our actions. We, we, we fail to, to love God with all our heart. We, we fail to love our neighbour. So, so often we, we ignore God. We, we pursue idols instead, our careers, our money, our family, security, power. In our pride, we pretend that we are in control of our lives. In our selfishness, we, we live as though only we matter. Because at our deepest core, we are sinners. We are more concerned about ourselves than serving God or loving others. Crises like these can expose the sinfulness of humanity. When we see people panic buying or ignoring the MCO, or more concerned with our business than with helping the poor, our hearts are exposed. And we, we see the, that natural inclination within to serve self 
rather than to serve others. Reality is we are all sinners. We've fallen far short of God's just standards. And if God was truly to treat us according to our deeds, none of us would stand. We would all be rightly condemned. This present suffering ought to make us reflect on our sin and on our desperate need for God's forgiveness. You might remember in Luke 13, Jesus was asked about a crisis in his time. Pilate, the governor of the Jews, had slaughtered some of God's people and, and mingled their blood with their sacrifices. It was a horrific disaster. Well, Jesus answers them in Luke 13, verse 2. He says, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. All those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. See, Jesus reminds us here that there's, there's not usually a specific link between personal sin and in personal suffering and individual sin. Just because one country has more cases of COVID-19 than another doesn't mean that we can conclude that one country is more sinful than the rest. Rather, Jesus reminds us that the existence of all these uh, disasters is God's gracious reminder that we live in a fallen world under the judgment of God. And such disasters warn us that there is greater judgment to come if we fail to repent. You see, one day we will all die. We will all stand before our Creator to, to give an account for our lives. And those who stand before God without their sins forgiven, will face a judgment that is far more serious than anything in this world. They will be sent away to eternal judgment in a place of eternal conscious torment, the place Jesus called hell. See, the right response to this disaster, indeed to, to any disaster, is to reflect on our sin and to turn to God in repentance. See, that is what the psalmist does. He, he recognises his greatest need is for forgiveness. And in the depths, he cries to the Lord for mercy. Whatever you are facing right now, no matter how difficult it is, do not miss your greatest problem. The greatest danger that you face right now is not being infected with COVID-19, as scary as that is. Your greatest problem right now is your sin. For without our sins forgiven, we will never stand before God's judgment throne. We will be condemned and judged eternally. But the wonderful promise of this psalm is that God does forgive our sins. Look at verse 4. But with you, 
There is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now we see God's forgiveness throughout Israel's history. When they, when they grumble in the wilderness and when they build a golden calf. Uh, when they went after other gods again and again. God forgave them again and again and again and again. Because that is his character. We read earlier in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, our God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You see, the God of the Bible is a God who forgives. That is why 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to this fallen world that has rejected him. He sent Jesus that he might bear our sins on the cross, that he might take that judgment that we deserve, so that he might offer us forgiveness, so that we might stand before his judgment throne unafraid. Friends, have you recognised your need for God's forgiveness. Have you cried to him for mercy? If you have, your greatest need has already been met. And notice what a difference it makes. God's forgiveness teaches us to fear him. And for when we've received God's forgiveness, then we joyfully submit to his rule. Then we delight to give him the honour and praise that is his due. As Spurgeon once wrote, gratitude for pardon produces far more fear and reverence than all the dread of punishment. But perhaps as you listen this morning, you know that you have not yet sought God's forgiveness. You are still living a life in opposition to him. Can I urge you this morning, turn to Christ. Ask him for mercy. Receive the forgiveness he offers and follow him as the Lord of your life. There is nothing more important for you to do this morning. Staying at home may save your life, but trusting in Christ will save your soul. Seek the Lord's forgiveness. The psalmist cries to the Lord. He seeks the Lord's forgiveness. And thirdly, he waits for the Lord. We're at verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. In ancient Israel, the watchman would stand on the city walls throughout the night, keeping watch for invading forces. It was a long and anxious wait, and so they longed for the dawning of the sun. And the psalmist uses that powerful image to illustrate his anxious longing for the Lord. See, as early as the as endless as the night seemed, the watchman knew that the dawn would come. So they sought it with all their heart. 
And so for the psalmist, in the depths of his despair, he, he anxiously waits for God's salvation to dawn. He hopes in the Lord. He, 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 he clings to God's covenant word that he would redeem Israel and he would bless them. Friends, that is what we must do right now too in our own time of trial. In patient trust, we must wait for the Lord. Wait for him to answer our prayers. Wait for him to come and help us. Wait for him to fulfill his word of promise to us. Many have said we now live in the now generation, where we want all our desires to be fulfilled immediately. If we have to wait for an internet page to load, we are quickly frustrated. If we get stuck in a traffic jam, we complain. We've become accustomed to getting what we want immediately. And we've lost the art of waiting. But situations like this force us to wait. We must wait in our homes. We must wait for this plague to depart. We must wait for this movement control order to cease. And most of all, we must wait for the Lord. We must trust him in the, in the darkness, that he will keep his promise. We must believe he will deliver his people in the end. Perhaps not now in this life, but certainly when he returns. Perhaps we could read verse 6 like this. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the MCO to end. More than the MCO to end. Well, we've seen the psalmist climb from the depths of despair to the heights of assurance as he seeks the Lord. And in the final stanza, the psalmist turns from his own situation to address the many, to encourage them and us to hope in the Lord. He writes verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Notice again how God-centred the psalm is. In every stanza, he turns to the Lord. He cries to the Lord. He seeks the Lord's forgiveness. He waits for the Lord. And now he hopes in the Lord. He reflects on God's character. He reflects on God's word of promise. And it is there he finds hope. It is there he finds assurance. See, friends, our hope in this crisis, in, indeed in any crisis, is found not in a vaccine or in wise leadership or in effective social distancing, as important as, as all those things are. Our ultimate hope in every situation is the Lord. And because our hope is in the Lord, there is hope 
in every situation. Why? Verse 7 says, For with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. See, the God in whom we hope is the God who loves us. The God in whom we hope is the God who is, who is full of redemption, who is mighty to save. Yes, Israel had to wait 400 years as slaves in Egypt, but God heard their cry and he came to redeem them. And yes, Israel had to wait 70 years as, as captives in exile, but God heard their cries and he brought them home. And yes, the world waited for, for hundreds of years for God's Old Testament promise of a saviour to come true. But God heard their cries. And in his love, he sent his Redeemer. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, the God who is full of love sent Jesus to redeem us from our sins. He lived the perfect life we have not. He died that death that we deserve. And he was raised again, conquering sin and death once and for all. And he did all this that one day he might bring us with, with all his people into a whole new, renewed creation where disease and depression and disaster and death are done with once and for all. Oh, brothers and sisters, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem us from all our iniquities. The cross teaches us that there is no crisis too big for God. He is able and he is willing to use any and every situation for the good of his people and the glory of his name. In this challenging time, we must remember his steadfast love to us. We must hold fast to his precious promises. A few moments earlier we read in Romans chapter 8 verse 28. We know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 38. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, friends, there is nothing in this world that can stop God from loving you. Not coronavirus, not political instability, not an economic recession, not unemployment. If this crisis gets worse, if we get sick, if our loved ones pass away, if you lose your job, nothing, nothing in all of creation will be able to stop God from loving 
you. His steadfast love never fails, never leaves those who trust his son. Hold fast to that promise. No matter what happens, remember he's already dealt with your sins at the cross. Remember he's already adopted you as his precious child. Remember he's promised to work all things for the good of those who love him. And remember his promise in this psalm. He is full of plentiful redemption. Now we live in a world of pain and suffering. But Romans 8 promises one day this world will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And one day our bodies will be redeemed and, and, and no longer subject to disease and death. One day the sufferings of this present world will not be worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. But that time is not now. That time is when Jesus returns. Now we must wait. Now we must hope in the Lord. Read in Romans 8.24 in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. In all this, we look to Jesus, who himself descended to the depths on his way to glory. Jesus, who cried out to his Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, who suffered death on the cross. Jesus, who, who waited in the tomb three days. Jesus, who was lifted from the depths of death and exalted to the right hand of God. Right now is a difficult an anxious time. We do not know what will come in the days ahead and how long this will continue. But when we descend to the depths, we know what to do. Cry to the Lord in patient trust, for he will listen. Seek the Lord in repentance, for he will forgive. Wait for the Lord, for he will come. Hope in the Lord, for his promise is true. He will return and redeem us from all our sins. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful hope and assurance that we have in you through our Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your steadfast love 
and faithfulness towards us. Lord, we thank you that you do not mark our iniquities, but that you forgive. Heavenly Father, in these challenging times, help us to cry out to you in prayer. Help us to seek that forgiveness from you. Help us to wait for you and to put our hope in the Lord. We thank you for that wonderful day when Jesus will return, when he will redeem us from, from sin and from all that spoils this world. Help us to wait for that day in patient trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.